0: for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne, in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them, in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie." Welcome to Watch Party, Lord of the Rings on Prime, where we look at Tolkien's works through the lens of adaptation, with a special focus on Amazon's upcoming big-budget adaptation of the legendarium. I am joined today by your host, Michael Rowland, AKA Thorin Oakenshield.
1: And I'm joined by Jen Gallagher, AKA Yenna, valor of grief, pity, and courage. So what we're doing today uh we're taking a break from our discussion of the mariner's wife and we're going to do a deep dive into one of the main characters in the second age uh, who we think will be a main character in amazon's show we asked the fans on twitter who you wanted us to do a deep dive into we, you know maybe collateral maybe elrond and you all voted overwhelmingly for Celebrimbor. so we're going to be delving into his life and travels and who we think will be playing him and uh we're really excited for this one because he's a fascinating character
0: Yes, indeed. Now, before we get going on this episode, if you like what we're doing here and you want to support us, please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and share us with your friends on social media. Doing that raises our visibility and will help other Tolkien fans find us.
1: We got a little bit of news today, not a ton, but some really fun news. So two of my favorite actors and characters from Peter Jackson's adaptation... Uh, Mary and Pippin, for the actors who played Mary and Pippin, they're hosting their own podcast called The Friendship Onion, and they're going to be talking about their experience filming the the movies. They're going to go back and revisit some old anecdotes and stories, and you know I think they're going to be watching parts of the movies and talking about it. And it just sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And those two, I mean, those two are hilarious. If you oh, watch the behind so the scenes, they're they're just so so funny, and they have such a great
0: personalities. <laughs>
1: so you know. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't be promoting a competing podcast, but I don't care because it's going to be an awesome podcast. I'll listen to it.
0: Oh, we will Um, absolutely be listening and talking about it. I love getting those glimpses into what was going on on the set. And, um, you know, it's similar to there's Office Ladies now, which is two of the cast members from The Office, and they go deep on episodes, and it is so delightful. So I can't wait that we actually get um, an inside look. Uh, through the eyes of Marion Pippin, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So our second piece of news today is that Charlotte Brandstrom was confirmed as the director um, of Lord of the Rings on Prime, the female director that we have speculated about, and um, and during the last episode we talked all about her and her previous works, and now uh, Amazon has confirmed uh, and on their Twitter, which was posted May 13th, 2021, um, that she is indeed the director and she is working with them in New Zealand. So this is exciting. And uh, we are glad to see that all these speculation, all these speculative posts from Fellowship of Fans um, have been confirmed. So that's, he's become a really reliable source of information. And we're yeah. grateful because there's yeah. so little information out there.
1: And he broke this news uh, a couple weeks before um, it was officially confirmed. You know, he broke this news uh, like two weeks ago at the end of April. And um, he actually tweeted out today or maybe yesterday that um, today being May 13th is when we're recording this episode, uh, that he actually got two message requests from Charlotte Braunstrom like minutes after he he put the post up on Twitter posting, like reposting her picture um, <laughs> uh, in Auckland. So he took a snapshot of that, posted it on his feed and said like, Oh my gosh, she's in Auckland. I bet that she's uh, a director. And I guess that she tried to contact him like like minutes later. uh, But then those messages or message requests were quickly uh, rescinded. So it just kind of paints a really funny picture of like that moment when Charlotte Branstrom realizes she posted something she wasn't supposed to post and then it gets caught. And then she's like probably frantically trying to undo it and, and message fellowship of the fans and then probably somebody in her camp or from Amazon saying like, you know, don't talk to him and I could meanwhile, just imagine yeah. everything's going on behind the scenes.
0: Oh, meanwhile, we're over here like more leaks, more leaks. Yeah. Somebody break down like take a bribe. I mean, they better start giving us some some more information or this thing's just going to like someone's going to blow the lid off of all of it because right. right. We, yeah, we can't wait. I mean, why are they keeping it so secret at this point? It's kind of confusing because we, we know so much more about, for example, house of the dragon, which is the game of Thrones spinoff, which has been in production for far less time, but already we know more about it than this show. Like we already got shots of a a round table uh, of their first, um, you know, reading cast, reading and uh, photos of them on set in costume. Like it, it's 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 interesting that they're being so tight lipped about this. Yeah, it seems a little
1: unusual. The only thing that I can think of, and I'm by no means like a marketing guru, so I am totally reading tea leaves that I have no um, expertise in reading. But it seems to me that this approach to marketing, where they're basically not marketing and they're holding it all back, is is unique and different. And I think maybe that's because they're because this is going to be such a big show, or they want it to be such a big show. That they're trying to approach it in a very different way by leaving, uh, holding everything back and not like you know dribbling out dribs and drabs and leaks like they usually would. Um, They're really holding things back, and and I'm expecting them to have some kind of really interesting marketing strategy going forward that is different from other shows. That's that's the only thing I can guess, or maybe they're just afraid that someone will bite their head off in the fandom if they. you know, leak some footage that indicates they're going in a direction that isn't liked. Maybe they're just afraid. I don't know. I I really don't know. It it is interesting.
0: I'm wondering if we're going to get hit all at once with something like, boom, a trailer, a poster, all these different things, a tagline, you know. Um, It could be that they're just going to drop bombs on us really quickly.
1: Right. I mean, we are starting to get pretty close. I mean, we're in May and we're all kind of – Speculating that we're going to see the show potentially at the end of this year, maybe in Christmas, which is kind of a traditional release time for Lord of the Rings type material. That's when Peter Jackson's movies were always released. So, you know, we're within six or so months of seeing the actual show and we still have no idea what they're doing. We've still seen nothing. So they they are really um, holding it back to the last minute.
0: They are. And, you know, that only builds up our anticipation. So it'll be a sweet day. Uh, when we get all of a uh, trailer and, uh, you know, we're going to hop right on this podcast and talk, dissect every, every little aspect of that. So I hope you guys are with us for this journey. Uh, that being said, I think it's time to start our deep dive. Yeah. Let's if- not
1: waste any time uh, talking about Keller Brimbor. And um, this is a character who is really exciting because he's a very central figure at least in probably the first half of the second age without, you know, we'll cover all this, but he's the actual guy who the actual elf who crafts the rings of power, all the rings of power other than the one ring. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's the elf who, you know, forges the the three Elven rings, the nine rings for men, the seven rings for the dwarves. And there are other lesser rings too, that we don't really know anything about. He's really the one who's responsible for designing all those, him and and the group of artificers that he led. And so he is really going to be right at the center of things, um, at least up until the middle of the second age. So probably the middle of the series. Once um, the rings have been forged and Sauron reveals himself as the big baddie and and reveals himself that reveals that he has forged the one ring. So um, things might take a turn after that, but he's going to be right at the center of things for at least a couple seasons.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I think that he is such an interesting character and kind of a tragic figure. So I think it would be smart of them to highlight his storyline. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of meat in his storyline that we'll get to. So to kick things off, we are introducing another brand new segment, which we're calling the One Breath Spoiler. So one of us is going to attempt to summarize this whole episode in one breath. Um, Michael drew the short straw this week, so he will be the first to experience the joys of oxygen deprivation. So, Michael, I <laughs> um, see
1: this is a challenge for me because I have very poor lung capacity. I've been like trying to hold my breath and like
0: <laughs> You got to use your, use your diaphragm. You want to breathe if you know, if your stomach's moving, you're doing it right. You don't want your chest to move. That's a yeah, singer's trick.
1: That's not going to help me because I'm holding my breath. That that helps me if I'm breathing. I don't get to breathe now. I'm just going to
0: pass take- out. You can take one big long breath before you start. And
1: this is tough. You know, elves live forever. Okay, there's a lot of ground to cover. How am I supposed to cover all that in one breath?
0: This I'm going to be interested to see how you pull this out.
1: Whose bright idea was this? All right, I got to, I got to, <laughs> I don't know, lubricate the vocal glance. Hold on a second. <laughs> ah,
0: okay, all right. You're just getting spicing things up over here on the podcast.
1: <laughs> all right, here we go. Born of Valinor, follows his grandfather Fianor to Middle Earth, moves to Nargathron, which is ruled by Galadriel's brother, repudiated his father's betrayal of Baron Luthian. Waglaron cups town, he moves to Gondolin, becomes a master jewel for King Torgon, escapes the destruction of Gondolin. In the second age, he lives in Linden and King Gilbad for 700 years and establishes the realm of Aragian. He loves Galadriel or did he? made her to the LSR or did he? betrayed Galadriel or did he? leads the Gwythi Miradin, hangs with the doors of Kaza Doom, helps make the doors of Durin, gets manipulated by Sairn, into making the rings of power, discovers Saran's treachery, hides the rings, fights back, gets captured, gets tortured, gives up all but the elven rings, gets killed, and his corpses impaled and uses a flag by Sauron's legions. <laughs>
0: Oh my god, bravo! Bravo! That was so impressive. Holy cannoli. Bat, poor lung capacity, my foot. That was impressive. So, yeah, if you caught all of that, we're going to we're going to kind of walk through bit by bit, but he is essentially somebody who, you know, forges the rings, very central. He seduced at first by Anatar, This is the bulk of his story. Um, but he realizes his mistake, and quickly hides the rings, but is ultimately captured and tortured. So he comes to a tragic end. Um, so Michael's going to kind of now, that once he catches his breath, he's going to talk about, <laughs> uh, a lot about Kellen Brimbor's backstory starting in the first age. So th- what we know of him, which is all very important um, in the lead up to, uh, in the arc of his whole character.
1: Right. And we know that this show is, is going to be focused on the second age. They don't have the rights to the Silmarillion. So they're not going to be showing any first age material, but, um, to the extent there are references to the first age, we might see, you know, flashbacks. It will, you know, the characters might reference the first age. And so certainly all this background, um, and this backstory is going to inform his motivations, uh, the relationships, that he has with other elves in the second age are going to be informed by their history together so this is all really interesting material and i you know as we get into it i think we'll point out the places and the relationships that um could have bearing and relevance in the second age so to start out with he's born in valinor um, he's an older an elf he's the son of curafin and curafin is the fifth son of Fienor. Fienor has seven sons now um so Celebrimbor is the grandson of fianor now, for those of you who don't know, Fëanor is sort of a central figure in the Silmarillion. Silmarillion being the tale of the tragic tale of the Silmarils. I'm not going to attempt to summarize it; it's way beyond the scope of this episode. But it is the primary uh, story. It's the tale of um, the tragic tale of the Noldorin elves trying to recapture the Silmarils from Morgoth, who's the big baddie from the First Age. Now, Fëanor is sort of like the most brilliant, uh, beautiful, wonderful, best artificer elf. From the first stage, he creates these beautiful things called the Silmarils that like capture the the essence and light of the first light source um, uh, or the light of the trees, which is actually like the second light source in the world. Um, and then when the trees are destroyed, the Silmarils are the only things left. And then Morgoth comes along, steals the Silmarils because they're so great. Now, Fianor and his sons, they swear this terrible oath to recapture the Silmarils and take vengeance on anyone who would try and stop them. Uh, and so that oath leads to all kinds of horrible actions by Fianor and the Sons of Fëanor, which sort of drives the plot and the tragedy of the whole First Age. So Celebrimbor is a grandson of Fëanor, and he gets kind of caught up in this in a way. So one of the first tragic acts is Fëanor, against the guidance of the Valar, leaves Valinor. He says, I'm going to go to Middle-earth, I'm going to track Morgoth down, and we're going to get the Silmarils back. And he convinces not all the Noldor, but a great host of the Noldor, to abandon Valinor, go against the will of the Valar, and go to Middle-earth and follow him for this evil end. And, and we um, all
0: know what happens when you go against the Valar. It
1: ain't it ain't good. Yeah, we've... Right. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit in the context of Aldarion and Orendis, but that's only a, a shadow of, of what happens to Fionnir and his sons. Um, and this leads to all kinds of horrible things. You know, they, they leave Valinor, they go to the Telerin elves uh, and... Asked them to borrow their ships. Uh, those elves are like, nah, we don't think so. This ain't such a great idea. So they kill a bunch of the Teleri elves and steal the their ships. The first kin the mm-hmm. Uh first time elf had raised sword against elf and and had killed another elf. So uh, this really tragic event. And then actually, Fëanor, once they cross the sea to get to Middle Earth, half of the host had gotten there. The other half of the and elves were, you know, coming after. Um, and that second host included Gladiol, for instance. And Fanor, even though he knows there's another host coming behind, he burns all the ships. <laughs> and it's basically like, eh, screw all those other people. You know, we don't need them. and yeah, I'm gonna he goes burn these completely ships.
0: scorched earth.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause, so no one can like, you try and go back to Valinor, I'm, I'm burning all these ships. So just crazy stuff. So the second host of the, the Noldor, they cross this like freezing ice tundra, like archipelago of you know, ice islands to try and get to the Middle Earth and a bunch of them die on the way, but then they still get this this whole terrible thing. And I said I wasn't gonna try and summarize this Silmarillion, but and I'm you, doing it now. You're,
0: you're doing I it. I can't help
1: myself. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> just read it, people. Just read it. Yeah,
1: just read it. It's it's amazing. So the point of this is Kilabrimboor is a part of this host. He follows Fianor to Middle Earth. He follows his grandfather. Now we don't really know anything about Kilabrimbor's life in the first stage for the most part, when he's following Fianor, uh, or at least in the early First Age. There's the whole Dagobragalak, which is the Battle of Sudden Flame, which is the fourth battle of the Wars of Beleriand between Morgoth and the Noldor. So we don't know anything about his life from the time he follows Fianor until that battle. But we know that after that battle, a bunch of the Noldoran elves that survived the battle, they flee to Nargothrond. Um, and Nar- Nargothrond is a, a city founded by uh, Finrod Feligand, who, who is Galadriel's brother, he's kin to Fianor. So he's a relative of, of Fianor. He's a cousin, I think. Uh, I get these family trees all mixed up, but he, he's not one of the sons of Fianor. I think he's a cousin. But so Celebrimbor makes it to Nargothrond and he's welcome there because he's kin to Finrod and he's there with his father and his brothers so are two of the sons of Fianor. Um And while in Nargothrond, he lives for a good number of years, but some really bad stuff happened. So I talked about how the oath of Fianor and, and the oath taken by Fianor's sons sort of drive a bunch of tragic evil actions by some of the Nolder and Elves. And an example of that is what happens in Argathron by Curafin, who's Celebrimbor's father, and Kelligorm, who's uh, Celebrimbor's uncle. Uh, these two bad boys, the sea boys, they betray Beren and Luthien. And if those names sound familiar, they should. They're kind of central figures in the first age. Their love story is, is very, very central. So that's another story you have to go read. And um, especially
0: because that one's dear to Tolkien's heart. Uh, Luthien is, is, was inspired by his wife. So definitely right. read that story.
1: Right. It's on their – he put it on their tombstones.
0: Tombstone, yep.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's a beautiful, beautiful love story. It's, it's the, I don't know, greatest story of hope in the – uh, tr- hope and triumph in the entire legendary and
0: romance oh
1: I just like <laughs> to cuddle up with a nice glass of wine and a bubble bath
0: <laughs> um, yes so this is significant you mentioned Um. so his father and his uncle you know they're trying to take over Nargothrond and they have they at one point are very bad and they kidnap Luthien yeah Um. all this to say we don't need to go too far down their story but we do need to tell you that that Keleborn condemns their actions. He rejects all of these evil deeds. Ke-
1: Kelebrimbor does. Celebrimbor, yeah.
0: sorry. Right. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: so and just to like, you know, quickly, very quick, I mean, so Baron is going on a mission to steal the Silmaril from the Iron Crown of Morgoth because he wants to win the Hand of Luthien. And he comes to Nargothrond asking for the king's aid, Finrod's aid. And Finrod had sworn an oath to Baron's ancestor, so Finrod is like, yeah, okay, I'll come to your aid. But Curiphant and Keligorm contrived to convince the other elves in his kingdom not to go. So Finrod basically goes it alone with like, you know, a small host of of warriors um, and that results in King Finrod's death. Okay. Now Mm -hmm. that's significant because Finrod is, let's remember Galadriel's brother. Mm -hmm. So, you know, keep that in mind to the extent that there are future interactions in the second age between Celebrimbor and Galadriel. That Galadriel would probably be aware that Celebrimbor's father and uncle were basically responsible for her brother's death. Um, now, later, and you already mentioned this, Jen, they basically try to kidnap Luthien because Keller wants to marry her. Uh, you know, not a whole lot of examples in history where someone successfully uh, weds someone and has a good marriage when they start out by kidnapping them. But, you know, <laughs> they thought they'd give it a, ch- a shot. But that doesn't work. And then they shoot Baron. So all this, like, bad shit happens. Um, but the important thing is that Celebrimbor rejects all these evil deeds. So when Kellogorm and Curifin are finally discovered, you know, their evil deeds are discovered by the king uh, of Nargathron, who's Finrod's son, they're ejected from Nargathron, but Kellobrimbor is allowed to stay because they, because he repudiates their deeds and, you know, he didn't have any part in it. So that's important because even though he's the grandson of Fianor and he's supposed to be most like Fianor in, in spirit and skill, he's doesn't, certainly at this point have the evil of Fëanor. He's not fully tainted. He, at this important juncture, rejects the evil deeds of his father, um, rejects the oath, essentially, uh, the oath of Fëanor, and goes a different way.
0: Already he is presented as a... He's a person of character. He has great character. Um, but this is very... He's also, as I mentioned in the beginning, a tragic character, in part because he cuts ties with his father. And what we mm-hmm. didn't mention is that his mother stayed in Valinor. She right. never left Valinor. Right. So he is essentially orphaned. Right. Um, so right off the bat, you know, who's who's guiding this young guy?
1: That's, that's a really good point. Yeah, and... We sort of skip on by the fact that okay, he rejects his father, so he's a good guy. But there's all there's this whole history that we are left to speculate about. So he f- he followed Fionor in the first place, and did he participate in the kinslaying? I don't know. Did he participate in the burning of the ships and a you know abandonment of the other uh, group of elves? I don't know. Or did, was he just kind of because he's a grandson, he just kind of was there and didn't have power to stop anything? We don't really know his role. And I doubt that the show will get into that, trying to answer those questions.
0: Or I, fill wish, those they gaps. I but wish they could. I wish they could. Might,
1: yeah, they might. To the extent that, that that they try and use this backstory to inform his character, they might do that.
0: Right. I mean, he's this character is undoubtedly going to be very complex and layered and dark, frankly. Mm-hmm. I think they've got to have a moody, you know, somebody who's who's um who's got that that look about them, that sort See, of
1: He's got a good brood going on. A good you know,
0: the, brood going on.
1: A Jon Snow quality.
0: A jo- exactly. Thank you so much. Yes,
1: mm, Jon Snow.
0: Jon Snow. <laughs> Let's all pause and think about Jon Snow for a moment. So you know, a what's moment funny, of actually, silence for Jon Snow.
1: <laughs> so when right, probably near the end of Game of Thrones, there was a Jon Snow cologne that I think was called just it was just called Man. And, oh and my gosh, he was like the model yes. for it. And, and I bought it. I have a big thing of Jon Snow man cologne. It actually smells really good. It's my you
0: life. bought it. I love it. Was, well, it that's was a clever. gift. I didn't, that I didn't clever. That is clever marketing. It, well, I'm gonna go buy it right now for my husband. Like, if you can still get it, it, it might
1: be a, it might be a collector's <laughs> item or something. That's,
0: that's amazing. Yes. Can we please have it? That is who I'm picturing. Actually, that's a pretty accurate um, portrayal of who we need for Cal and Brimbor. Um yeah. And we'll get more into. Who we actually who we actually think might be cast as him and why, but um, we digress. Side note.
1: Side note. Let, let's continue this digression for just one hot minute. So okay. Um, you and I have talked about how you hate Marvel movies,
0: but <laughs> everyone's gonna come after me. All the Marvel I know, fandom, I know, I know it.
1: <laughs> but there is a Marvel movie coming out starring Jon Snow and what? the actor. I mean, the actor that played Jon Snow and the actor that played Rob Stark.
0: No way! They're Those were two movie. of my faves. Yeah. Say no more. I will. This is a Marvel movie that I will one hundred percent. You'll make watch. an
1: exception. <laughs> I
0: will make an exception. I don't hate all Marvel movies, by the way, just the majority. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. What's it called? Now uh, I just want to talk I, about this.
1: <laughs> I think it's. I think it's the Eternals. Um, want to make sure. Well, let's just hope. Yeah, it features, it's the Eternals.
0: Let's just hope it prominently features Jon Snow's royal throne, if you catch my meaning.
1: I I don't. Could you explain that <laughs> uh, more explicitly? This, whatever,
0: you know exactly what I'm talking about. This blew up the internet when we saw his behind, bare naked behind in season seven. I think <laughs> everyone kind of lost their minds. Um. So you know, maybe <laughs> maybe that's something to look forward to.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was right at the moment when he was engaging in some gross ant love, so.
0: Oh, I, yeah. I, I suppressed that memory. I suppressed that as well. I just pretend that whole aspect didn't exist, but, That you whole know. A-
1: aspect.
0: aspect? Aspect, no pun intended. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, all right, back to back to Lord of the Rings, back to Lord of the Rings. Um, okay, so that, that covers him up through his stay in Nargothron. but at some point, Celebrimbor, in Celebrimbor's life, Nargothrond is sacked by Glorong the Dragon, and um, much of the many of the occupants of Nargothrond are destroyed. But Celebrimbor manages to escape, uh, and then he moves to the hidden city of Gondolin, which is another, um, uh, Elvish, city um, founded by Noldoran Elves. So it's King Turgon, is the king there, and he thrives. He becomes one of the primary artificers and jewel smiths for King Turgon. Uh, I think it's pretty, I think in all versions that speak to this time period, it is established that he is basically second best. Um, there's another artificer named Enerdhil who was also an artificer. He was the prime guy and Killer Brimbor would have been a superstar artificer if it wasn't for his best friend Inard Hill, who kind of surpassed him in all things. Um, but beyond that, there are potentially two different versions of his time in Gondolin. Uh, I, I kind of want to, wait to delve into those two different versions until we get to Galadriel, because I think it's more relevant at at that point. So um, for now, I'll just say he lives in Gondolin for a while. Eventually the hidden city of Gondolin falls and he manages to escape Gondolin and that we don't really know what happens to him exactly. Um, We can speculate that he lived with other survivors in certain regions, but we don't really know. So after Gondolin falls, we just kind of jump right into the start of the second age. And in the start of the second age, this is after like, you know, the big, the big battle that ends up with the downfall of Melkor, you know, Morg Melkor or Morgoth, he's chained up, he's cast out into the void. um, And the world is totally changed. Half of middle earth is, you know, underwater. The topography of the world is totally different. Um, So at the start of the second age, Gilgalad, is the, uh, sort of highest ranking Noldoran elf remaining in Middle-earth, he founds the um, realm of Linden, sort of on the western coast of Middle-earth. And Celebrimbor, we know, lives there for like 700 years. He's just hanging out in Linden with, with Gil-galad and some of the other Noldoran elves. Then he moves to Aregion. And now this is where we're getting really to the important period uh, where he becomes a really relevant character. Uh, now, there are Two different versions of his life in Aragion. In uh, Of the Rings of Power in the Third Age, which is a section of the Silmarillion, and also in Appendix B of Lord of the Rings, we get an account that basically says Celebrimbor pretty much founded Aragion, or that's the impression that is given, and he was its lord, so he basically ruled over Aragion. We get a second version in the Unfinished Tales, in a section called The History of Gladiol and Celeborn. Now, in those essays, it says that Galadriel and Killeborn are the founders of Oregion and Celebrimbor was merely a part of their company. Uh, and so it, it's going to be interesting knowing that there are two separate versions, uh, or potential versions to, to speculate as to which version Amazon's going to go with. Uh, or maybe they'll mix and match and take parts of each to focus on the, I don't know, plot lines that might be most interesting. Um, I think that the unfinished tales version uh, where Galadriel and Celeborn are the founders of Eregion, I think that's where they're going to focus because it opens up some really interesting plot lines, potential romances with Galadriel. Um, and,
0: yeah, we got to have a love triangle. Yeah. And
1: so let's just, let, let's jump right to the potential romance with with Galadriel. Um,
0: right. Let's do it. Jen, um, you,
1: there's some, some great language here in The Unfinished Tales. Can you start, can you read that, those passages there?
0: Long ago ere Sauron deluded the smiths of Eregion, Galadriel came there, and she said to Kelimbrimbor, the chief of the elven smiths, I am grieved in Middle-earth, for leaves fall and flowers fade that I have loved, so that the land of my dwelling is filled with regret that no spring can redress.
1: How otherwise can it be for the Eldar if they cling to Middle-earth?
0: said Celebrimbor.
1: Will you then pass over the sea?
0: Nay, said she, "'Angrod is gone, and Egnor is gone, and Felagund is no more. "'Of Finarfin's children I am the last, but my heart is still proud. "'What wrong did the golden house of Finarfin do "'that I should ask the pardon of the Valor, "'or be content with an isle in the sea "'whose native land was Amon the Blessed? "'Here I am mightier.'
1: "'What would you then?'
0: said Celebrimbor. "'I would have trees and grass about me that do not die "'here in the land that is mine,' she answered.' What has become of the skill of the Eldar? And Kelimbrimbor said,
1: Where now is the stone of Arendil? And an Erdil who made it is gone.
0: They have passed over the sea, said Galadriel, with almost all fair things else. But must then Middle-earth fade and perish forever?
1: That is its fate, I deem,
0: said Kelimbrimbor.
1: But you know that I love you, though you turn to Celebrimbor of the trees. And for that love, I will do what I can. If happily by my art, your grief can be lessened.
0: But he did not say to Galadriel that he himself was of Gondolin long ago and a friend of Enerdhil, though his friend in most things outrivalled him. Yet if Enerdhil had not been, then Celebrimbrimbor would have been renowned. Therefore he took thought and began a long, delicate labor, and so for Galadriel he made the greatest of his works, save the three rings only, and it is said that more subtle and clear was the green gem that he made than that of Anerdil, but yet its light had less power. For whereas that of Enardil was lit by the sun in its youth, already many years had passed ere Kelimbrimbor began his work, and nowhere in Middle earth was the light as clear as it had been before. For though Morgoth had been thrust out into the void and could not enter again, his far shadow lay upon it. Radiant none the less was the Elisar of Kelimbrimbor, and he set it within a great brooch of silver in the likeness of an eagle rising upon outspread wings. Wielding the L.S.R., all things grew fair about Galadriel until the coming of the shadow of the forest. But afterwards, when Nenya, chief of (laughs) this dog, uh, she's whining right in my face. She's literally staring at me. It's okay, Lucky. Do you miss your mommy? Lie down. Lie down, honey. (laughs) She misses my mother-in-law.
1: Juan the Hound over there.
0: Juan the Hound. Radiant, nonetheless, was the Elisar of Celebrimbor, and he set it within a great brooch of silver in the likeness of an eagle rising upon outspread wings. Wielding the Elisar all things grew fair about Galadriel until the coming of the shadow to the forest. But afterwards, when Nenya, chief of the three, was sent to her by Celebrimbor, she needed it, as she thought, no more, and she gave it to Celebrion, her daughter. And so it came to Arwen and to Aragorn, who was called Elisar. All right, so obviously so the,
1: the 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 key part of that is when he says you know that I love you you know even though you turn to Celeborn, so I'm gonna do what I can to make you happy so that's that's where we get the hint that uh he has some love for Galadriel
0: exactly this is a really significant passage and I think if I were the show writers I would really um delve into a lot of this here because Galadriel is confiding to him like this is a moment where she's really opening mm. up and sharing her heart with him. And I think this gives us an idea that they are close, that there is something going on here. I mean, I, I hope that we get a real true love triangle. Um, you can, you can think of, you know, the hunger games, Peter Malark versus, dale or gail or whatever that guy's name is but um i think this is significant that she's really opening up to him and talking about you know her deepest desires and her struggle and she's confiding in him not her husband like this dialogue does not exist um between she and her husband they are married at this point um but they spend you know about 400 years in eregion and um Kellen Brimbor is present for all that. So, yeah, I'd be I I'm really interested to see the dynamic there and why she chooses um Keleborn over Kellen Brimbor uh, and just those two juxtaposed would be interesting right. too. Um, because we know that Kellen Brimbor is a smith and he's a craftsman and you know, I I'm, I'm picturing like he's got to be cut, he's like a rugged manly man and then Kelleborn of the trees you know, it could, be, it could be a contrast is all I'm saying. So um, I'm, I'm interested to see if they depict this. And I certainly think they should play up this aspect because they have a lot to draw from. They're not conjuring this out of thin air and inventing mm-hmm. romance where there is none. And they, you know, people have made that mistake with The Hobbit, for example, of let's right. just throw in a romance just for the sake of it and change all this. They really don't even have to do that. They just have to expand upon what's already here. So um right. I think I think it makes total sense that Celebrimbor Brimbor and uh, Galadriel would connect they have really similar childhoods you know they were both born and raised in Valinor
1: mm-hmm.
0: so they have that in common and um
1: And I think that you know you asked the question why would she confide in Celebrimbor over Celeborn you know with respect to the the struggles that she's having and basically the struggle that she's having is really she misses Valinor, you know, she sees that Middle Earth has this decay. And we learned about this in one of the volumes of history of Middle Earth uh, called Morgoth's Ring. That we know that part of Morgoth's power was he actually diffused his power into Middle Earth and tainted everything. And mm-hmm. and so everything was kind of a lot of decay and evil that, that occurs in Middle Earth, you know, even years and years after, uh, in the ages after Morgoth is thrust into the void. Um, that those are sort of ripple effects of Morgoth tainting everything in Middle Earth. So Middle Earth kind of decays and perishes, um, right? But not Valinor. You know, we know that Valinor is kind of this uh, always rejuvenated, always renewed place. It's this paradise, and she starts to miss it a little bit. You know, she has this pride where she wants to stay in Middle Earth, and and you know, she says, "Here I am, mightier. I don't want to have to go back to Valinor because here I can be a great queen and I can do great things, but I still miss the you know evergreen." lands of, of Valinor. And so she can she can tell Celebrimbor that because he's from Valinor also. Celebrimbor isn't. He's born and bred right. in Middle-earth. He's never seen Valinor. Yeah. And so she could say that to Celebrimbor and he'd be like, "What's your problem? It's great here, you know." <laughs> he would he wouldn't get it.
0: Right, exactly. Um, And I think this, so he forms this, you know, precious gem for her. And I think this is really interesting because it's clear that um, due to this, this, this gem, often these, you know, precious gems or works have special powers or have some mystery about them. But it's clear from this passage that this gem is actually, like, helpful to her when she is building her kingdom. So it says, like, all things grew fair about her. Um, in part because of this gem that he's crafted for her, which I think is just really interesting that she carries it. and and also this is a historical um, work because it is past. it ends up with Aragorn, right. Who calls it who was called Ellisar? Yeah, at the very end there. So um, And so it's yeah, interesting
1: I, because this version of events is, again, there are two versions. Uh, and this comes from an essay called, it's titled The LSR, and it's a sub-essay, that's it's a part of the history of geological and Celeborn. And we should point out that um, in the essay – so sometimes Tolkien wrote two different essays. Like he was toying with an idea, and then at a different time, he writes a different version. Um, he act, In this part of The Unfinished Tales, he actually writes one essay that in the essay says – that there are two different versions. It's a little bit different. It's kind of Tolkien intended that the history be ambiguous and that sort of people said potentially two different things, or at least I believe that's that's correct. And in the first version, the original LSR was, you know, it, it was a gem that was crafted by uh, an Aredil in Gondolin, and it was taken by Erendil, Erendil, you know, the Mariner who basically saves the world, um, and ends up in Valinor. And so that's referenced in in this, uh, dialogue. So up to, so that part is still in the, in the second version. So the original LSR ends up in Valinor, but in the first version, Aloran, the Maya, who's actually, we know him as Gandalf. He brings the LSR, the original LSR gem back from Valinor. And he actually gives it to Galadriel and the original LSR gem, it has uh, a power uh, to fight decay. And to replenish things, so it speaks directly to this this problem that Galadriel has. You know, this sadness, this problem in Middle Earth that things decay. It sort of has the power to reverse that. It's sort of similar to the power of the Three Elven Rings, which also have the ability to preserve. But so in the first version, Galadriel brings it back, or uh, Gandalf brings it back and gives it to Galadriel. In this version. The original is still lost and Kelleborn is making a replacement. That's not quite as good, but still very, very, very good. And I think it's, you know, you realize and recognize how significant this gift is when you think about how powerful the original LSR was and that this is said to be almost as powerful, that it has the power to preserve. It's almost at a level of an Elvis Ring of Power and he makes it for her. Just because he loves her, and she's able to use it to make her land flourish, so it's kind of like one of the rings of power. And he just sort of makes it and gives it to her because he loves her. So, right. uh, that's really significant,
0: very significant. And we'll talk later about the fact that he, you know, he gives her, he literally, he does give her one of the rings of power to hide. Um, so they definitely have a relationship. Um, it's crystal clear, and so I think we're going to get that depicted. I hope we get that depicted. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's, there's a no really hint. I think there's no
1: hint in this passage, which is the only passage that references the love between them. I don't think there's any hint that it was a love that was returned. I don't think it's a requited love. I think it's unrequited. Um, But, you know, maybe they could play with but that. They that Galadriel would, yeah. yeah. Be torn or something, you know, that, he, that she could have feelings for him. That, now I haven't, I, it just occurred to me, but I haven't taken a close look at the family tree, but, so Celebrimbor is the grandson of Fianor. Galadriel, I think, is the niece of Fëanor. So wouldn't that make Galadriel and Celebrimbor like pretty close relatives, like uncomfortably close?
0: Mm, I think we've found out, you know, based on Game of Thrones that we have the stomach for this kind of thing. <laughs> like we're willing to overlook a lot if they look good together on screen, and we can just kind of ignore that fact. <laughs> Things were different back then.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. And you know they're immortal. They could be hundreds of years apart in terms of the totally. dates of their birth. You know, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just excuse us up the up the wazoo. Um. But
1: also part of the reason I I reference that is, well, I was going to say that perhaps this love that he's referencing is more of a familial love, but. You know, he if it if that was the case, he wouldn't say, you know, I love you, though you turned to Galaborn turn of the to trees. to of the yeah. trees, yeah. Clearly, he's taught. It's a romantic love, and he feels jilted, yeah. or he's sad that that she didn't want to go with him.
0: Yeah. Um, so we could get that whole scenario playing out, you know, where he declares himself and she rejects him, or you know, we'll have to see. Um, we'll have to see. I, I hope that they the showrunners uh, do something with this, though. Um, but. Moving on, we are going to talk about um Kellen Brimbor's relationship with Sauron or yeah. Anatar, who Which is will... really
1: the, the key of this whole this thing. This is the
0: key. This is a really important part. This is, pro- I mean, this is definitely what we're going to see. We don't know which season we'll see it in, but we're going to see this storyline play out.
1: Right. And, um you know, we sort of glossed over it, but he is really supposed to be the greatest craftsman among the elves since Fianor, you know, in Gondolin, he was second best to an but I I think that by the time we're in the second age and he's uh, living in Eregion, he is now the greatest since Fianor. And he, he leads a group of artificers, craftsmen called the Gwaithy Myrdine, and they're much renowned, kind of like, kind of like Aldarion's. um,
0: Guild adventurers. Guild
1: adventurers. Yeah. That, you know, that fraternity. well, Kellabrimbor has got a fraternity of of artificers, and they're really renowned. They make you know beautiful, amazing works. Um, he's described as having almost a a dwarvish obsession with craftsmanship, um, which I, in turn, in elvish terms, is probably not supposed to be a compliment, but you know take it as you will. Um, and he does develop, and the Myrdain, develop a very real friendship with the dwarves of Casa Doom, which is you know right down the street from Oregion. Region, the realm of Region is right at the foot of the mountains, of the Misty right. Mountains, and it's right next to khazad dum So they're really close to each other, and they have this thriving friendship, sort of never seen uh, before or since, uh, with the exception of Legolas and Gimli, you know, that individual friendship. But the um, close communion of the elves of Region and the gwethi with the dwarves of khazad is is really serious. And so I think we could see a really interesting and robust uh, exchange of, culture interaction you know clashing of culture potentially but their friendship sort of overcoming it uh, based on that relationship that he's able to forge that's unique among those two clans
0: yeah oh definitely and i hope we get to see them wouldn't it be cool if we got to to see them build the door of durin
1: yeah yeah they're definitely going to slip that in there somewhere it's one of the few things that we know and it's a and it's one of the few things that connects him to the Lord of the Rings. So mm-hmm. for you listeners who, I mean, if you've seen the movies, remember the moment when the Fellowship goes to Moria and they're trying to enter Moria, but Gandalf can't remember the words. Um, those doors that he's trying to speak the password into, those are the doors of Durin and they were crafted by Celebrimbor and Narvi, who is sort of the lead artificer of the dwarfs of Khazad-dum. And they built it together.
0: Together, uh, yeah, and yeah. I think we've mentioned this in a previous episode, but it is always you know exciting to get a little nod to the old films and um get a <clears throat> a friendship like this, which predates the friendship of Legolas and Gimli. So, right, um, the it'd fact be a good opportunity
1: we're... for fan service and fan service that isn't contrived. Like, I'm afraid they're going to try and force fan service into it, like, force all kinds of weird callbacks and references to Lord of the Rings that don't fit mm-hmm. or that are inaccurate. But this this is accurate and they could put this in and it would be correct.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so we'll continue on with our story.
1: Yeah, so things start to get a little dicey here. So he's in a region leading the Gwaithi Mirrodin. They're making all kinds of cool stuff. And this is around, you know, I forget exactly, but it's like around a thousand of the third, uh, third age or so. Now Sauron, Sauron has been just sort of, hanging around, not f- openly declared himself yet, but people are starting to get a sense that there's a, a shadow moving in the world. So remember we talked about Neldarian and Arendis, you know, they're in 800 of the second age. They're already starting to get a sense that there's a, a dark power looming in the east. It's starting to, to gather power, but no one knows who it is. They don't know that it's Sauron. They actually don't, and I, I realized this in doing the reading for this week, Sauron's identity as a single person was not really known. So like a lot of his acts that he did on behalf of Morgoth in the uh, first age, people didn't know that that was a, a guy named Sauron. <laughs> they didn't really attribute it all to him. Um, so I had often wondered, like, how could they not know it's Sauron? It wasn't necessarily, he wasn't, his identity wasn't necessarily known. It uh, wasn't really common knowledge. So he's out there. He's he's making noise, but people don't know who it is, who the spirit is. And they, they don't guess. Well, around, you know, a thousand, I think, of the, of the Second Age, he puts on a fair form. He's hot. We got hot Sauron, okay? He's beautiful. The fairest form he could contrive, I think, is the words that are used. And he, yes. he, he starts mingling amongst the elves because – he, you know, he'd been converting and manipulating men for years and years and years, and he developed a lot of power uh, in the first 1,000 you know, years or so in the Second Age amongst men. So he can, he'd uh, totally corrupted a lot of the men, but he really wanted to corrupt the elves because uh, they knew they were his greatest. He knew that they were his greatest threat, um, and he knew that if he could corrupt some of them, that would be the key to him really rising and becoming sort of lord of the earth.
0: Right.
1: So he puts on this fair form. And he starts visiting the elves, and he's he's a snake oil salesman. He's not coming out and saying like who he is. He's not letting on that he was associated with Morgoth. He's not letting on that he actually wants to dominate them. He is he's pretending to be a an emissary of the Valar. I mean, and no one really knows enough to suspect him, except or for, contradict it, yeah, or or contradict him, yeah. So uh, some of the elves are are buying into it. Um, notably, Gilgalad. The, the king of the Noldor and Linden and Elrond, they're not buying it. So they mm. they reject him. Um, they're like, we don't know who you are, but we're not buying it. Um,
0: Something's yeah, off.
1: Yeah, you make some good promises. We like what you're saying, but um, you keep fingering that gun in your holster and we're sort of a little suspicious of you. You know, I, For whatever yeah. reason, they said something is off. So they never let him into into um, Linden, but he has better luck with Eregion. I think that is very, very interesting, um, and we can talk about that a little bit later, I think. But Eregion lets him in, and partially because he comes as and represents himself as a, a Maiar of Aule. Um, now, for those who know their Nolder in history, the Nolder elves in Valinor were more or less pupils of Aule, who is the Valar of Smithcraft.
0: So of course, our guy Kellim Brimbor is going to be seduced by all that that uh, Anatar. He's Sauron's calling himself Anatar can impart. He's he's going to be he's going to want some of that juicy Mm -hmm. knowledge. So he's definitely more susceptible than Gilgalad or Elrond would be to his charms.
1: He's speaking directly to Celebrimbor's passions. And mm-hmm. Sauron legitimately, legitimately has a lot of knowledge. And so he teaches the Guaifi and how to do all kinds of great stuff and really enhances their skills. And so they're eating it up. And so mm-hmm. actually they become uh, really, really close. I mean, they start to follow him. And I, not, I'm not, I don't want to say worship him because they wouldn't worship him, but they they really revere him and respect him. And Sauron, as Anatar, starts guiding a lot of their works. And Celebrimbor is a part of this. So, And Celebrimbor really believes that Sauron is is a good guy, and that he has good intentions, and that his only intent is to beautify Middle Earth and make Middle Earth make Middle Earth great again. Okay, he is the Trump of the Second Age. He's saying, "Let's make Middle Let's Earth, make great, Middle Earth again. great again." <laughs> and uh, Moore is buying it. You know, he's he's got his Sauron hat on, his red Sauron hat on. And um, I sorry, I should <laughs> shouldn't go there, but uh, <laughs> That's uh, he, right. you know, so they genuinely love and trust Anatar, and they believe him to be good. I think that at this point I want to stop and point out that there is sort of a parallel here at this point, in a way to what happened with the Numenorians. Now when, the, when Sauron is brought uh, to yes. Numenor, they know he's bad. okay? They know he's evil, but he's able to sort of say sweet words, slip honey in their, in their ears, right? And, and trick them into over time revering him and he, he gives them knowledge and he's able to manipulate them over time. Um, that's kind of what he's doing here, except this time he has the benefit of them not knowing who he really is. They don't know right. his history.
0: They don't um, know his true identity.
1: So he's totally ingratiating himself into this community and into the most powerful group in a Region. Now at this point, there are two different versions we have to go on. Uh, in the Unfinished Tales, we get the version where Gladril and Celeborn are the original founders of Eregion, okay? Now, in that version, when Sauron comes to town and ingratiates himself into the wifey Myrdyne and becomes a buddy of Celebrimbor, he actually influences Celebrimbor and gets him to run Gladriel and Celeborn out of Eregion. He basically gets Celebrimbor to stage a coup and kick Gladriel out of Eregion. Now, if mm. that is now the that version, that would be spicy. Oh my gosh! If that's that the version, that would be that they spicy. With, yeah, <laughs> that'd be some hot tamales. <laughs> Sorry.
0: I kind of hope they go with that because it's um, it's dramatic. And yeah. why else did Galadriel and Caliborn leave Ereinion? We don't know why they right. left necessarily. So that that does make sense and it's it's it would especially show Kaelen Brimbor's fall from grace if he suddenly turns on this woman that he's carried a torch for um and and is so deep in Anatar's clutches that he turns on her um right. i think that'd be a really interesting thing to watch play out
1: right and you know Kaelen Brimbor loves Galadriel so is is Saren able to play Sauron able to play on his feeling of rejection and sort of able to corrupt that and turn it into use that to get him to kick Galadriel out. You know, what does Sauron do to get Keller Brimbor, who is at heart still a good guy, to think it's a good idea to run Galadriel, who he believes is a good person, out of Eregion? I'd be really interested to see how that happens, but it would be an absolute corruption over time that would be fascinating to watch.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we know that Celebrimbor is ambitious, you know, if he indeed founded Eregion, and he's one of the greatest smith crafts to have ever lived. We know he's ambitious and often, you know, Sauron will use that against people. Um, And that's, that's usually how this goes. So we, you know, he might come to see Galadriel and Celebrimbor as a threat or he's so close to Anatar that they're speaking against him is suddenly unacceptable. So yeah, they could they could take this any any which way. Um, I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be really um powerful to see this play out. Um, but fear not, we will get to it. But you know, ultimately, Calum bore does see the light, but he, you Only know, when before it's that too happens, Only when it's yeah, too before that happens, he's pretty deep deep into uh, Sauron's clutches.
1: Right. And now we've gotten to the point that I think everyone is familiar with, which is where the elves of Eregion forge the rings of power. Now, Sauron is the one who teaches them how to do this. And the art of forging a ring of power, at least we know with the one ring, involves pouring some of your own spirit, your own self into the ring. Now, I don't know if that is the case. Also, for the lesser rings, for the Elven rings and the and the um, rings that the Nine Rings of Men, the Nine Rings for the Dwarves. I don't know if that's how those rings are made, or if that was unique to the One Ring of Power. But the point is, making a Ring of Power is a very unique skill that Sauron teaches them how to do. And so they make all these wonderful rings, but all at his instruction. Now, Kel- Celebrimbor makes the nine, makes the seven, makes all these lesser rings at Sauron's instruction and with his involvement. So those are all corrupted because he's he was Sauron was part of the process, part of the forging. Um, whereas the three elven rings, Celebrimbor did all by himself, still using the method that Sauron taught him, but Sauron wasn't a part of that process. So that's why the three elven rings stand apart from the other rings in that they are, are not inherently corrupt Um, so we know in the third age, the elves who bear the three elven rings, they can, they can use them and not be corrupted, but because they're still made using the method that Sauron taught, as long as Sauron is alive and has the one ring, he would still be able to control and read the thoughts of the bearers of the three elven rings. So, you know, they're still subject to the one ring, but not quite as tainted. But the point is, I I guess the important point is here. Sauron is teaching Celebrimbor and the wife of to to forge all the rings of power. And then he, Sauron leaves for like, like 10 years or something, goes back to Baradur. I don't know what excuse he gave. You know, He's like, hey guys, I got to take a bathroom break. Uh, I got to go get some cigarettes. And he slips out the back and then leaves for 10 years to go, <laughs> to, go to Baradur. But he, you know, at that point he forges the one ring. And the, the moment he puts on the one ring, that is the moment when Celebrimbor realizes that he's been betrayed. Because,
0: Whoopsie. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah.
1: Because the power of the one ring is that Sauron can read the minds and I, th- I think basically control mm-hmm. the people who are wearing the other rings. So if Celebrimbor is like wearing one of the elven rings and Sauron puts on the one ring, Celebrimbor is like, oh, my God. You know, he can immediately sense it. And so mm-hmm. Celebrimbor immediately takes off the ring and he realizes he's been betrayed.
0: Right. This is this is his break, his ultimate break with Anatar where the veil is pulled back and he sees clearly and this is this is significant because he realizes he needs to send these rings away for safekeeping. Right. So, guess who he sends Nenya to? Nenya is the ring of water and he sends it to Galadriel for safekeeping. Yeah. So, once again, you know, they have a close relationship. Right. He comes
1: crawling back to Collateral. Hey, sorry, I kicked you out of Ragam. Hey, sorry, I stole your throne.
0: Too little, too late. He does, yeah. she does, she does end up with a ring of power, which is, which is a good thing. But, um, yeah, so he sends the rings away for safekeeping. But, you know, but
1: actually, before we move past that, I think it's important to note that so he goes to Gal- He goes Collateral first for counsel. That's right right that's I mean, right
0: that's right he does before anybody
1: her. else he's like oh i realize i was wrong and probably at that moment because he realizes Sauron's treachery he realizes that whatever manipulative tactics that Sauron used to get him to turn against galadriel he he realizes now also that that was all bs and that he did galadriel dirty so he's like oh i better go talk to galadriel and and apologize so he goes to galadriel and in when you know he's taking counsel with her they don't destroy the rings. That's a, no. That becomes a significant thing. They should have destroyed all the rings, like right away, all the elven rings, all the lesser rings, you know, knowing what Sauron did and that probably having some kind of sense of what the one ring could do, they should have destroyed all the rings, but they didn't have the strength to do it. And instead, Galadriel says, all right, well, let's just, dis- you know, distribute the elven rings to uh, into safer hands, you know, Far away from each other for safe keepings, because we know he's going to come. Sauron's going to come and try and snatch up all the rings, so we we have to disperse them throughout Middle Earth so we can't get them. Which I, you know, is a good plan, but they should have just destroyed the rings. And so that yeah. kind of speaks to a, a weakness in a critical moment.
0: Well, they're both they're both a little bit power hungry. We know that and they're
1: both they're both Noldor elves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, both have that. Uh, the history with LA and you know, so they both got that in them, even though Gladwell is not like a, a craftsman or anything. She's still of that line.
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I hope we get to see that whole conversation play out. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how they're going to swing that if he's kicked her out and then he has to find her and seek out her counsel, but it, yeah, it gets real juicy here because, um, now they're scrambling because Sauron has such a foothold. And right. basically, you know, his treachery is discovered by everyone and war breaks out.
1: Yeah. And, you know, at this point, this is going to be the part of the of the show, like maybe the last couple ep- episodes, I would think. I mean, there's a lot that happens. So they could stretch out wo- the war. I mean, they could stretch out the war for a season or two if they wanted to write it that way. But I would suspect that this will be kind of like the mad scramble, the action packed last couple of episodes um, because Sauron is pissed. Like he puts on the ring and then the elves take off the ring and he feels like, and I think we'll do an episode just on Sauron's motivations where we'll get into this more. But I think there's some interesting subtlety to Sauron's motivations. And I think a part of him thinks that he had truly won over the Gwafi and that they wouldn't betray him, that he would put on this ring, and they either wouldn't have the strength to rebel, or maybe they would—they would sort of serve him. But without getting too deeply into that, when they repudiate his his treachery and rebel and sort of repent and and say we're you know we're going to stand up to you, he gets—he's super super pissed. He gathers all of his forces and just let's like loose. A ter- lets loose a torrential downpour of of violence on Eregion and just sacks Eregion and just really crushes everyone.
0: Eregion falls too. Yeah, totally falls. falls.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Gilgalad musters forces in Linden and, and Elrond and there's all kinds of battle scenes. And I I don't think it's really that interesting to to describe the action there. But I think the important point is that they're really losing and they can basically lose the battle. Aregion is destroyed and, we're getting now to Celebrimbor's end where he's sort of making a last stand uh, in Ossinidhil, which is the capital of Eregion. And he ends up being captured, not slain in battle, but captured. Because Sauron, of course, his primary purpose is to capture all of the rings of power. He wants them all, especially the elven rings because he knows that those are the most powerful. They have the power to preserve. Right. And he wants that power. So he captures Celebrimbor and there is some like, Ramsey Bolton level torture. Torture. That
0: goes on. Tor- they torture him for information on where the rings are. And for like two years, I think. Yes, it says, he's like, a tortured time. and he withstands the torture. He doesn't, he does tell where the lesser rings are, but he never reveals where the three elven rings are. Right. And they eventually kill him. He's shot full of right. arrows and killed. Yeah. And then, this is really gruesome, he is displayed on a what would you call it like a spike used as a flag yeah his body yeah his body's
1: impaled and and displayed like a banner that his forces carry into battle so it's yeah that's it's a pretty gruesome end for our boy Celebrimbor
0: very gruesome and very tragic but you know arguably I mean Sauron did gain a foothold with the help of Celebrimbor but if Kellan Brimbor had not forged those precious um, elven rings on his own, they would have never actually discovered Sauron's treachery. So he is, he is a hero in, in many different ways. And um, I think he's going to be a huge part of the story. Right. So I hope.
1: And I, I think it's kind of interesting and funny. So, you know, they have this whole plan to do, to distribute the elven rings amongst the great elven lords and, Spread them out in Middle Earth so that Sauron can get them, but they don't do anything about the lesser rings. They don't destroy them. They don't try and spread them out. They don't try and hide them. They're
0: he like just, they're just dwarves. He just, <laughs> and well, men. I mean, at this
1: point, they're the rings aren't as, like assigned to men or assigned to dwarves. They're just like sixteen rings um, of various levels of power. And I think the nine rings that end up that Sauron ends up giving to the men, those are like. The less Those are less powerful than the seven rings he gives to the dwarves, which are less powerful than the three that are to elves. But they're not like – when Celebrimbor makes them, they're not dwarven rings and they're not
0: – Well, uh, I think ma- it's possible they didn't have these rings in their possession. Like, number one, that's possible. They only had the three elven rings somehow and they didn't have those. Or it could have been a time-sensitive issue. Like,
1: Well, we know that – actually, it does say that all that they do is they put those rings in a vault. Ah, in the for yeah. in the forge is like in the the main building where the Guify Mirdane work. They just put him in a vault. They're like, ah, They're all like, right, this
0: ought to do it. Yeah, we,
1: <laughs> we got our trusty dead bolt. He'll never get in there.
0: That'll stop. That'll show him. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so you know, Caleb Brimborn gives those up like right away. He's like, okay, don't pull my fingernails out. They're in the vault back there, <laughs> and that's after like five minutes, and then. He realizes that the three elven rings aren't there, and so then he's like, "Well, I got to torture you for two years now." Uh, but he, you know, to his credit, he never gives up the uh, elven rings. So he, Kellubrimbor, is redeemed
0: um, mm-hmm. in the he end. Is yeah, absolutely redeemed. Um, I think I think he's a a multi layered character, and now that we've wrapped up kind of our story of him, I want to spend a little time speculating about who we might see in this role because it's a it's a huge role and I think the actor that they choose needs to have a lot of range and I right. took a gander at the latest cast list so it's it's so extensive at this point there's a lot of actors involved but I have two guesses for who we could see as Callum Brimbor the first guess is uh, a man named Benjamin Walker so you might recognize him he's been in a lot of different things. He's, he was in the heart of the sea. Um, the missionary he has been in a whole bunch of things. Muhammad's Ali's greatest fight flags of our fathers. Um, but this guy, he has real acting Abraham chops. Abraham Lincoln, he,
1: vampire slayer. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Abraham. Mm-hmm. Le- how could I forget that one? Um, <laughs> he has some real acting chops uh, to me. He's got that, He's got the look, first of all. He's got the like dark, tortured, I have a chip on my shoulder and some different things going on kind of look. He's also very tall. He's six foot two Mm. and elves, as we know, they like to portray elves as tall and sharp featured. He's got very cut featured. He's also pretty built. We need someone who's going to be like a strapping, you know, again, like a works with his hands. He's a builder. He's tactile. Yeah. I think this guy fits the bill really well. I could totally see it. He's got to look
1: like he's been working at a forge for a thousand years.
0: Exactly. He's got to be fit. This guy, this guy's pretty cut. Um, he also has been in period films. He was great um, in in The Heart of the Sea, which is the Moby Dick adaptation. He's in period costume. He looks great in a period costume. Very important. Um, and so I could... <laughs> I could totally see this guy as Callum Brenmore. And if he's not Callum Brimbor, I really think he's going to be another elf. So that's my first guess. Sure. My, I like that. My, I like that guess. My second speculation is a man called Ismail, I hope I'm saying that right, Ismail Cruz Cordova. So, I've the only thing that I've actually seen him in was his most recent appearance in the the Undoing, which was on HBO, which was a really really good uh, Really good. You saw it as well.
1: I did see it. Yep. And he was yes. good in it.
0: He was so good in it. He He's definitely, again, got that, like, I'm sensitive, but kind of brooding, dark, uh, tortured character look, first of all. And second of all, again, cut defined features, very um, otherworldliness to him. Also, he has, like, these very striking light eyes, which I think is... Also totally appropriate for an elf. Also very, uh, a big guy. He's six foot. I think he's six one. Um Cut, built, and has emotional range and depth. And so I think both of these would be great casting choices. And we know that based on their IMDB pages, they are both in, you know, multiple episodes. So these guys are not just playing one-off characters. It's looking like these guys have some kind of significant role. So So, I
1: I would cast my vote with um, Benjamin Walker because I'm I'm looking at their IMD pages right now. So Ismail or Ishmael maybe um, Cruz Cordova, his IMDb page says that he's in the Lord of the Rings episodes one and two, whereas Benjamin Walker's IMDb page says he is in episodes one through eight
0: One through eight. And is it, are those always like totally current though? Oh, I don't know. I mean,
1: with how secret this, it's entirely possible that this is just BS or it's guesswork. So I'm not, you know, betting the farm on this IMDB page, but it must be based on something. It must have some reason. It must be
0: based on something. Yeah so series they are series regulars, and but it seems like Benjamin Walker is in at this moment we think he's in more episodes, so it, yeah, it could very well be Benjamin Walker, which I'd be totally happy with. I think he's a great actor and he has some chops. I think he could handle a hefty role. he's definitely proven himself he's one he's been in a lot. I mean, for as many new brand new actors as they have like he he is certainly not an unseasoned actor he has a lot on his resume. So I think he could definitely uh, handle a role of this magnitude. So th- again, this is wild speculation, but if I, again, if I were the casting agent, these would be my picks for this guy. Sure. And we'll see how it plays out. Um, we, we can't wait. So a couple different topics we're going to talk about potential themes and narrative devices. Do we think he's going to be a main character? The first couple of seasons is our first question.
1: No doubt.
0: No doubt. How could he not? There's so much here. I mean, we covered it. And I would say we just gave you like the bare bones without even going too, too far in.
1: Right. And so this, if this is a five-season series, I would bet that the forging of the Rings of Power and the battle that results in the death of Kilobrimbor, that is at least through the end of the second season, I would say probably through the third season. And then the last two seasons are the Numenorean plotline. Uh, even that's kind of pushing it. Cause then we have to probably have a, a season that covers the war, of the last Alliance, if it goes all the way up to that. So I would put my money on two seasons where Celebrimbor is the central character um, culminating in his death at the end of the season two that would be my guess. Maybe they stretch it out to season 3, but right now I'm guessing season 2.
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think I I would not disagree with that whatsoever only because we have so much information about him and they really don't have to. They can they also have room, you know, to play, but this is just a great character. Why would you not utilize this second age character? Right. So yeah, I I agree with you. Um, Do you think he'll be presented as an anti-hero? Very trendy these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting, this is something I was thinking about because right now the trend in dramatic TV is to have main characters who are protagonists who are not really good guys. You know, the age of the anti-hero really kind of started with, with HBO back, uh, with um, the Sopranos. It was that it really kicked it off. You know, you had Tony Soprano who is your protagonist. You root for him kind of, but he's not a good guy. He kills people. Mm -mm. He's a mobster. I mean, he is a bad, bad, bad guy, but he's your protagonist and you care about what happens to him. You care about his feelings, you know, Um, same thing with, uh, you know, Breaking Bad, arguably the best series of all time. And you see Walter White who is, very much an, an antihero, not a good guy. He does bad things, but you root for him. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know that show is all about his decline from mild mannered chemist, um, straight laced chemist to uh, drug kingpin. And <laughs> you know, Keller Brimbor kind of seems like a character that could f- potentially fit that mold.
0: Oh, and, absolutely. Um, he makes big mis- he makes mistakes. You yeah. know, like fatal mistakes um entrusting somebody who is who is uh, basically the antagonist of this entire series.
1: Right, um, right.
0: And yeah, he's a tortured person, you know. He had to basically cut ties with his family, which is really tragic, leaving his mother at a young age, a tender age, mm-hmm. that already sets him on a difficult path. And so, yes, I think we have an antihero on our hands for sure. I mean, um, c- because
1: he's clearly not a true villain,
0: um,
1: but he's also so one thing about antiheroes that I th- I think to define an antihero, it's it's a guy who is a bad guy or a very very flawed person, um, who nonetheless leads the story, who's the central figure in the story. Um, Celebrimbor is doesn't quite fit it perfectly because. He's not a bad guy. He's a good guy, who's good at heart, but who is manipulated into doing something. So in a way, he's not an antihero, but he's kind of a victim of the villain. You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of a difference there. I mean, I, the point of this isn't to debate over semantics, but you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to present him as like a Tony Soprano type character who's like a a really bad bad guy all the way through, but who you come to love. I think they'll show more of a, a manipulated guy and you watch his decline as he is manipulated through two seasons. Um, and he's ultimately redeemed at the very end, but only after he his misdeeds and mistakes wreak tremendous damage on the world that he loves. That's kind yeah. of what I think we'll be seeing. That sort of arc, that tragic arc of a good guy who is who has been manipulated and all of his sorrows and everything, Sauron uses all that to squeeze and turn him into something to do evil things.
0: Yeah. It's going to be difficult to watch this play out. Just knowing what happens to him in the end. And I hope that we haven't spoiled this for anyone, but if you're listening to this podcast, it's likely that you already know (laughs) what happens to the fate of Kelimbrimbor. But, um, you know, we hope you've enjoyed this deep dive and, there's definitely more to come. There's so much to unpack. Oh, We didn't even talk about the fact that we think the romance with Galadriel could be... We talked about the fact that we think the romance with Galadriel could be central. We didn't talk about whether my two picks would look good alongside Morpheed Clark, but I think they both... I personally think they both would look great I alongside Morpheed Clark. They're
1: all ridiculously attractive people. They're well, actors. Benjamin I Walker's I mean, like...
0: A little older than her, I think. A lot older, probably, but he still looks pretty young. Ismael Cordova would look great alongside Morphe Clark. I just felt like I had to throw that in there because I didn't cover it.
1: <laughs> oh, are they? Are they gonna look good? It's, are they gonna, gonna look, look good. good
0: together? I think so. But I think no the matter romance who will it is, be.
1: They're gonna make us, you know, very sweaty. That's what's gonna happen.
0: No it is. <laughs> I think they're gonna definitely use the romance with galadriel i think that's going to be central and um you know we'll see the the tensions the relationships the love triangle what is Ke- what does Celeborn think about all of this oh here's an interesting tidbit we didn't even mention so a little insight into Celeborn. he does he doesn't really care for dwarves so most elves right. don't care for dwarves oh, but he right, really right. doesn't like dwarves well as we know, Brimbor is best buddies with one of the dwarves. Right. So, is there a tension there? Right. That and, could be another
1: source of just random tension. Like, Brimbor is hanging out with Narvi, the dwarf, and Keliborn's off in a corner scowling, you know. And Galadriel's
0: being drawn into the dwarf right. culture, and, Kel and Bo- Kelimbrimbor's not happy about that. And later, Galadriel takes her daughter and goes to Casadum to stay and without Celeborn this does happen later right yeah and I think so, that's in the
1: version where they're like where they're run out of Eregion I think Galadriel is the one who leaves I think she just goes through casa Doom and then settles in some lands on the other side of the Misty Mountains but Kelleborn's like I, I ain't setting foot in Moria so he, he just kind of like stays in Eregion he doesn't
0: go with them right. yeah
1: but he's like you know he's he's been deposed But he's still hanging out in region as like a disgraced, toppled leader just hanging out in the corner, like, you know, wringing his hands, I guess.
0: Which is really strange. So like their relationship too, I'm interested to see.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, there could be some interesting stuff there. Right. Well, I think we've – man, I think we've covered everything there is to cover. Actually, that's not even true. We've covered about half of what there is to cover. (laughs) As with all things Tolkien, there's always more under the surface. But I think we've covered all that we can cover today. Um, so we're, we're going to cut it here. And I think next week we're going to get back to Aldarian and Arendis. Um, we're about halfway through that story, and but there's still plenty more to go, a lot of the really good stuff, so we're going to keep analyzing that. Um, and I think now with Celebrimbor in mind, maybe we'll have some uh, opportunities to tie the Aldarian and Arendis story into what we know about Celebrimbor's story or find ties and, and speculate about how the show might tie them in together. But um, Jen, as always... Love talking about this stuff with you.
0: Yeah, likewise. What a blast. We love doing these character deep dives. And if you do want to hear a deep dive about anyone in particular, you can always give us a shout out on social media. We are on uh, Facebook. We're on Twitter. And you can email us. You can, you know, reach out to us any which way. And we will definitely get back to you. We love hearing from you guys. And thank you once again, everyone, for listening.
1: Yeah, see you next week. And may the hair on your toes never fall out. Jen, I'm really excited about the Grey Havens today because we are introducing uh, what will probably become our favorite segment of the show. I hope it will be a repeat segment um, that we are calling What Are Kids Talking About?
0: Ugh, I'm so excited about this. Anytime we can involve young kids it's, you know, it's exciting. I think kids are hilarious and I love their stream of consciousness stories.
1: So this is what we're doing and this is what this segment is all about. Um, We hope this will be a regular thing, but what are kids talking about is where we play a clip of one of our kids or, you know, a kid in our life or one of your kids, you know, fans, if you want to send a recording of one of your children talking about Tolkien, talk about hobbits, talking about Bilbo Baggins, anything in the Tolkien universe. And then we're going to play it and enjoy it. Kids are hilarious. And even if they haven't heard about Tolkien, know nothing about Tolkien, um, their imaginations are amazing. And it's just so fun to hear them you know, come up with a story. So to kick things off, we're starting with my niece, Sophie, who's the most adorable thing in the world. And she, of course, knows nothing about Lord of the Rings because she is four years old. Um, but uh, we asked her to tell us a little something about Hobbits. And uh, this is what she came up with.
0: Hobbit is the same name as the... The... The banana peels. Um, from people... Um, farted in the hobbit's face, but they, the hobbit didn't have a face. What? The hobbit was invisible. Oh, but so did they fart on accident then? No. they They didn't fart on accident! Goodbye. Oh my gosh, <laughs> kids are funny. I love it.
1: And amazingly, even though it's totally from her imagination she made it up, she actually got something right about hobbits. She said the Hobbit is invisible.
0: That's so true. She just intuited it. That's yeah. hysterical. Yeah. I love it. And I love that like even though she didn't know, you know what the Hobbit is, like there's there are so many kids out there reading the hobbit she's a little young i would say four is a little young (laughs) but i'm really excited to hear other kids talk about tolkien and um just a new generation discovering it and even if they haven't heard of it it's just i love hearing kids you know just tell stories i think it's so funny so yeah send us your audio clips of of um what your kids are talking about and we would love to play them on the show
1: yeah, and you know we do want to make this a regular segment. So, children of any age, uh, if you have kids of any age, just whip out your phone, take a quick voice recording uh, of your children talking about Tolkien or, you know, answering prompts about uh, words or phrases from Tolkien that you give them, and we'll just love it. And you know, quick tip: they don't have to know anything about Tolkien. Um, it'll probably be funnier that way. Uh, but also, if you know, your kids don't have to be four or five years old. They don't have to be little babies like my niece. You know, if you have a, a teenager or a young kid who is reading The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, you know, we want to hear their insights as well. That, that would be just as great. So uh, kids of any age, if if you want to take a quick recording of them and send it our way, we would love to, to listen to it on the air. So
0: absolutely. And thanks, everyone, once again. And we will see you next time.